Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, first gospel. Uh, Matthew, chapter 6 is where we're going to be taking a little bit of a diversion this morning from the book of Acts, where we've been for a while. Matthew, chapter 6 is where we're going to focus on uh, this morning. I- I'll be honest with you, Mother's Day messages are some of the toughest that I prepare all year long. Um, I've never been a mom. Don't expect that I ever will be. And, uh, and so there, it, it's, uh, it, you talk about just relying on God to kind of shape a message. Mother's Day messages are the toughest, at least for me, they are. And, uh, and yet this morning as I was preparing uh, this week for this particular uh, uh, message, uh, this is the 10th Mother's Day that I've been here, and all 10 of them I've preached except for one. We had a special speaker. Um, uh, as I was preparing the, the, the message through the course of the week, I, I just felt like God directing me. Uh, I had every intent to focus on moms, but I felt like him directing me to really just focus on, on people. And so I hope that this message this morning, as we look in a real important passage of Scripture in Matthew 6, will impact you regardless of where you are, whatever stage of life you're in, regardless of your age, your setting, your experiences, whatever. I just hope that God uses this time, this very focused time this morning for the next half hour or so to really speak to your heart because I believe that what we're going to look at is extremely important for every one of us that can have a, just a, a huge impact and an enormous impact upon your life if you'll allow it to. And so let's, uh, let's just focus this morning as we look in Matthew chapter 6. One of the things I've noticed recently, I've got three kids now, is that out in the lobby after, after a church is done, typically our family is one of the last to leave because I'm one of the last to leave this particular building. And so as we get out to the lobby, you know, there are a few kids that are kind of scattered around. And it's so interesting to me, it's so neat to me to watch kids, how they interact, whether it be on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or a Sunday night here. It's almost comical to see how kids, how, how they relate to one another because they they, they just relate differently. You know, they get so excited about things that we as, as adults don't have time to get excited about. And, and even the way they relate to one another, one of the things that struck me that to me is just so, so hilarious, is that you'll see kids, and I don't understand why this is. I need to ask my own six-year-old, I guess, Hannah, why she does this. But when kids see each other, have you ever noticed they pick each other up? What is that all about? Why is it, you know, they see each other, wah, they just start picking, they just want to pick up kids. My daughter Hannah's the most picked up kid, I think, of this whole, this whole church. Seems like every child that is a little bit older likes to pick her up. What if we did that as adults? You know, what if I saw Mike down here? Like, Mike, good to see you. Wow, pick you up. You're like, whoa, hey, there's Nathan. <laughs> what if we, you know, it's just comical when you think about it. And kids have this quality of playing games. Man, just can make games out of almost anything. And when you, when you think about the, uh, the life of a child, what is, it, what is it that summarizes the life of a child? One word that would come to mind would be the word game. Because they can make games out of anything. Now, now I began to think about some games. I never played this game when I was a kid. But I've heard about this game. What is this? All right, what game comes out of this? Kick the can. I have no idea how to play the game Kick the Can. I've never Googled it to know what the rules are exactly. I have a feeling it goes something like this. That's about all I know so far. First service, by the way, it landed on end, and that was impressive, but this service, it couldn't do it. So I don't know really what's involved in that particular game, but kids, again, have the resourcefulness to where when they have nothing, they're able to make a game out of what little that they have. When I was a kid, I remember inevitably there would be one of our guys in the neighborhood that have a knife, a pocket knife. And we had some kind of a game where maybe you played it where you take it and you throw the knife down and then when the blade sticks to the ground, you have to stretch out to get it. And you had to throw the knife like really close to the guy's foot and you always like it when you miss. You know, it's like, da And you try to stick it. Somebody told me it's called what? Mumbly peg? 
Is that, is that right? None of you had the guts to be able to say that out loud, but when I said it, you're like, oh yeah, mumbly, yeah, yeah. Well, whenever I was, another game that we used to play all the time, was, and this has to be the most original, uh, the, the absolute most original name of a game that I've ever heard of. Tackle the man with the ball, right? That's what we played. Now, we called it something else on the playground that I won't go into here in this setting. But, um, but it, it was, <laughs> so you played that too. So we, um, we, easy, easy. So we, you know, all you needed was a football, a group of guys. And, and you'd play, you know, suddenly you had this game called, and who thought of it? Probably little Timmy, you know, what should we call this game? I don't know. And little Timmy, why don't we call it Tackle the Man with the Ball? You know, and that was the game. But when you think about all the different games, probably the easiest of all was the game of chase. All you needed were people and dirt, and somebody that didn't like you, and you had all the ingredients of a great game, it's like, hey, let's just chase Bobby, you know, everybody takes off running, and it's the simplest game of all, when you think about it, we never really quit playing the game of chase, it, we, never, we never really get beyond the age, regardless of what our age is, to where we play the game of chase. Now, we may play it a little bit differently, and the object of our chase changes with age. But we, this building is filled with a lot of people who chase consistently still, regardless of your age or your, your status or your stage in life, your setting, your, you still chase. I still chase in my life, and we are people who are built to some degree to chase after things in life. Now, there's one principle that I want to give you this morning that when we look in, in, in Matthew chapter 6 and we begin to really break down what this passage has to say, I believe that this, this principle we're going to look at begins to capture what we're going to read here in just a moment. And the principle is this, what we chase in life is the difference between emptiness and fulfillment. We never give up the chase in life because we are people that are designed, we are wired to chase, and we never quit chasing. However, the truth that we need to be very, very well aware of, and we'll see it here in this passage, is that what we chase in our lives is the difference. It, I did not say that it could be, or it might be, or it possibly will be. It is the difference. What we chase is the difference between emptiness and fulfillment. Whenever we look in this passage of Scripture and we begin to take it out of the context in which it was written, we're going to see that Jesus tells us that very simple principle that chasing never ends and that what we chase sometimes makes all the difference. A number of years ago, Susie and I were driving near Brunswick. We'd come off of I-95. We we're making our way towards Brunswick. It was just the two of us. Hannah, from what I can recall, was just a little girl, and Drew wasn't even born yet. It's probably five years, or, or uh, yeah, probably five years, four or five years or so ago. And we were driving in, in the truck, in my truck, and we were on one of that little side highways heading north, towards Brunswick. And out of the blue, it was just a bright day, a pretty day, middle of the day, and out of the blue, bam, out of nowhere, something hit us from behind. And I knew immediately, after kind of gathering my senses of what happened, that somebody had rear-ended us. And it didn't spin us out of control. We didn't, you know, go off into the guardrail or anything like that. But it was very obvious that we had taken an impact. And as I kind of recovered my senses, you know, and looked over, there was this, this red vehicle truck that, that went speeding past us. And so... 
in the midst of that traffic and everything, I, I began to take off after that truck. And I felt like, man, I felt like I was like one out of 12, one out of 12. I felt really, really cool. And so we got 911 on the phone, and I'm telling them, I'm chasing. You know, we got, we've been rear-ended. It's a hit and run. The car didn't stop. We're on this road heading this direction. And, uh, and so we're going after this vehicle. We chase them for like 15, 20 minutes or so. And, uh, and so and I'm on the phone, 911, still telling them, giving directions. We got people coming, all that stuff. So we get ultimately off the highway into a residential area, and I'm still behind this red truck. And we get there, and, and, a, and an officer ultimately meets us there. And I, and I show him where it is. I didn't know who this guy was. He might have been running from something, and he might have had a big old gun or something or whatever. So, so the officer meets us there, and he goes, he checks out. He comes back in a few minutes. He says, he says sir, I've looked at the vehicle, and I can tell from your truck that you've, you know, you've, you've been impacted, but his vehicle didn't have any, any signs at all of any collision. And uh, I've talked to him. It's not him. I said, but he broke my taillight. There's got to be, you know, something has happened. And it was a reminder that still sticks for me today that the motivation of our chase may be all right, but the object of our chase can many times be all wrong. And we have to remember the principle that we're about to see that will come jumping out of the pages of your Bible that what we chase in our lives is the difference between emptiness and fulfillment in our lives. And so Jesus is gathered here with his disciples, and he's gathered on the corner of a, of a hillside west of the Sea of Galilee. This chapter, chapter 6, comes out of a larger group, a message that Jesus preached called the Sermon on, your, on the Mount. In fact, if you look back in, in your Bible in chapter 5, you'll notice in verse 3, if you have a Bible like mine, that your, your words turn red, Jesus begins to speak. In verse 3 of chapter 5, and if you go, turn the page through chapter 5, chapter 6, get into chapter 7, all the way to the very end almost of chapter 7, those words are all in red. Why is that? It's because Jesus is speaking. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's assembled originally, chapter 5 tells us, with his disciples, just the group of his 12, huddles these guys together. Come on, let me tell you something that you need to know about the Christian life, about its motivations, about its, its uh, attitude, about its character. And he gets these guys together on the hillside west of the Sea of Galilee, and he begins to talk to them. Well, by the time chapter 7 ends, it tells us that there was a crowd there. And so what started as a little group of guys ends up with a large group of people, a crowd that has come to hear Jesus speak. And so we know this as the Sermon on the Mount. They wouldn't have called it that then. They didn't have flyers handed out. Come on, Jesus is speaking today at noon on the Sermon on the Mount. They didn't have that. But yet Jesus, at this point in his ministry, at least, was so well known that people wanted to hear what this person had to say. And it's in the middle out of chapter 6 that we pull out the passage we're going to look at this morning. And what God shows us, what Jesus tells us here is the simple principle that we've all looked at already, that we are people who chase and chase and chase, but the object of our chase must be right, or else we will suffer as a result. There are times that God will allow us in his sovereignty to catch what we chase after. Now, I'm grateful that in his grace, I'm grateful that in his, in his, uh, in his wisdom, that he doesn't allow me to chase everything I've chased after. He doesn't allow, allow me to catch what I've chased after in all instances of my life, but there are times he will. And it raises the bar that we've got to be careful what we chase because it can be the difference between emptiness in our lives and fulfillment. And so pick up with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 is where we're going to start. We're going to read down through verse 32 to begin with, looking at the simple principle that we've started already this morning. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried 
about your life. Yeah, I could stop there and just kind of give an invitation and pray and go home. And it would have been well worth maybe our time here. We have a tendency really to worry about things we don't need to worry about. But he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then Jesus, the greatest communicator who ever walked this earth, probably more than likely points up to the sky and a flock of birds maybe that was passing overhead. He points to them, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. In other words, he points to the Gentiles as those who don't know God. They eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus says in verse 25, he points to a a quality of the chase that people still are engaged in today. He points to the chase after the physical. He mentions three things, food, drink, or water, and clothing. And he points to the people of his day 2,000 years ago and he says, you know, the Gentiles chase after their food and after their drink and after their clothing. And what he's doing is he's pointing to a summarization of the chasing after the physical, chasing after those things that won't last forever, chasing after things that are important. After all, we need food, we need drink, we need clothing. Those things are important. They have a place in our lives. However, they were never designed to be chased after as a priority. And what Jesus is pointing to here, and he does it brilliantly, he points to the chase after the physical in our lives, those things that sometimes occupy so much of our energy, so much of our effort, so much of our time, so much of our focus, and yet in the end, they're not going to last. They're all gonna burn, it's all going to burn up. It's not going to be for anything. And he says you have a tendency to chase after those things that will not last forever, those things of a physical nature. And I'll tell you, I don't chase this. I chase things today that I didn't chase when I was 10 years old. <laughs> you know, things that I chased after when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I don't chase after that stuff anymore. Things I chase after today as a 45-year-old married man with three kids, with a job that is, that is uh, one that God has called me to, with a ministry even outside that job. I chase things today that I didn't chase when I was 10 years old. It weren't even on my radar. I mean, 10 years old, I wasn't praying about being a godly father or a godly husband. I wasn't praying about being a good pastor. I wasn't praying about helping to meet needs. of a, I wasn't praying about those things. They weren't even on my radar. It weren't even a blip on my screen. Today, one of the things that I chase after, for example, you may be real similar. Moms, I have a feeling you are specifically, is I chase after balance in my life. You know, How do I have time for, for the job that God's called me to that demands the time that it demands? And how do I make time still... To, um, to be the husband that I want to be to my wife that I love with all my heart? How do I make time to carve out for my kids to be there invested in their life, even though I have a job that takes time? And how do I carve out time to, to not just be there, but to be there completely and, and, and wholeheartedly in their lives, pouring in, pouring in, pouring in? And how do I make time for the study of God's word? Because after all, I'm just a guy that lives in a fallen world that will eat my lunch in a heartbeat if it could, and the enemy laugh himself to sleep the whole way. 
And so how do I make time for God in the midst of this world in which I live? And, and by the way, I need to exercise because I don't want to die next year if I can avoid it. And uh, I mean, I get pretty good benefits going to heaven, but I'd kind of like to stay a little bit longer till that time comes. And so I need to exercise, take care of myself. And by the time, by, you know, when all that's done, I would kind of like to do some things I enjoy, right? You feel this way sometimes? I mean, I want to go play ball or, you know, play golf or do something. And then there are times I just need to rest, you know, you still got eight hours, a third of your day that really needs to be gone just for sleep and doing nothing, just recuperating for the next day. You understand what I'm saying? We chase after balance. We chase after things today that we didn't use to chase after. And we try to find how does it all fit? What's worth chasing? What is worth putting aside? What's worth the importance in my life? But then many times we miss it. And at the end of that chase, we catch what we chased. And we're still as empty as when we started. The motivation is right. But what we chase is not wrong in and of itself. It was just never designed to be chased as the priority. Stories told of a farmer who decided he was going to make some money. More than he ever made before. And so he designed this scheme. He goes out in his farmhouse and he begins to work. And he designs, don't ask me how, but he designs, he engineers genetically a three-legged chicken. Did you hear about this guy? He's probably on Fox News, I'm sure. A three-legged chicken. And he immediately begins to, to understand that the fruit of his labor, all the, the result of all of his efforts has come to pass. Why? Because he knew that when he sold that chicken with two legs, he got a buck per leg. He gets two legs, but now he's crafted a three-legged chicken. And he's going to immediately see his profits go up by 50%. They won't double them because he hadn't got around to a four-legged chicken yet. But they're going to go 50%. He's not going to make two bucks a chicken. He'll be making $3 a chicken. And now he's going, to get, he's going to be rich much more quickly than he ever imagined. Well, the news catches wind of it, and they send reporters out to him. This one fellow is sitting down for the local paper, and he says, Farmer, tell me. He says, what is it that caused you to begin to set out to engineer genetically a three-legged chicken? No one's ever done this before. He said, well, you know, I, I knew that if I could do this, that I'd be rich, and I'd be rich quickly because everybody would want one. Everybody, I mean, think about it. You sit down at the dinner table. You don't have two chicken legs. Now you've got three chicken legs. And man, life can be good. Dinner time can be like never before. He says, that's why I did it, because I wanted to get rich, but I'm trying to meet a need in the culture as well. And the farmer said, well, sir, that is just brilliant. It's amazing you're able to do this. It's just phenomenal. Everybody's just going to, you're probably going to win an award. But I just got to ask you a real practical question. I mean, how, how does it taste? I mean, are the chicken legs, how do they taste? Are they good? He said, I don't know. I hadn't been able to catch one. <laughs> <laughs> You got this plan. This is where my life is going to go. This is I'm going to. Have you ever caught what you chased and wished that you never caught it? You say, "Oh yeah, his name was." <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe a job. You know, four years of school, extra training. You catch a job six months in. Man, I hate this. This isn't what I want to do with my life. Mom and dad are banging on your door. I paid for your college. <laughs> you got to do what you're trying to do. Maybe it was an opportunity that you, you, you went after and you invested and you did what you thought was going to be best. You may have even invested large amounts of money, something that you thought was a deal that couldn't go wrong, and it came together and you got it. You caught what you chased, and you realize it just left you empty. It didn't fulfill. Maybe it was something else you chased. Maybe you paid an awful high cost to get what you chased. Maybe you lost your relationship with your kids. 
a spouse, a parent. Maybe you've lost friendships that have been left in the rubble of your aspirations as you trampled over all those in your path to get what you chased, and when you caught it, it left you empty. We have to be careful what we chase because what we chase is the difference between emptiness and fulfillment in our lives. Jesus mentions here, he mentions there in verse 25 about the chasing after the practical. But then he also says down in verse 34 that we have a tendency to chase after the future as well. Look at verse 34. He says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. And boy, this is wise, isn't it? Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, Jesus walked in a fallen world. His disciples lived in a fallen world. In fact, they were reminded all too well that they were fallen people, not Jesus, but the disciples, because one of them would betray him with a kiss. Jesus understood the simple truth that life is hard and that he did not come to make it easier. He only came to redeem it and every life that comes to him on his terms in repentance and in faith. And so Jesus says something brilliant here, looking at a group of chasers on that hillside west of the Sea of Galilee. He says, in so many words, you have a tendency to chase the future. You're trying to craft your life to fit what you think will be the ideal. And there is, it is pointless for you to chase after the future. Deal only with the day in which you live. Don't be chasing the future, and yet 2,000 years later, we have a real strong tendency to have the mistaken notion that we can somehow control the future and somehow craft our life into what we want it to be. In fact, sadly, much of the Christian, uh, many Christian books that are published today are written on that false premise, that false notion that somehow we can formulate the life that we want it to be filled with what we want it to be filled with as though that's in our control. We don't control our future any more than we control tonight's weather. And if I were to stand up here today and stomp my feet and say, tonight it's going to be, it's going to not get dark till 1030 and it's going to be sunny for the next week and it's going to be perfect weather to get out in the boat and play in the yard and do whatever. Now, I don't have any control over that. That's, that's pointless. That's, that's frivolous waste of time. I can't even control tonight's weather, much less my future. And yet Jesus says in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who don't even know God, who feel as though life only comes to them on their terms. And I'd be willing to say that there are some here this morning on this Mother's Day, whether moms or dads or somewhere, somewhere else in life, you're empty. You're empty not because the motivation of your chase is wrong, you're empty because the object of your chase is wrong. Some of you perhaps are empty as you chase after relationship, after relationship, after relationship. Whether single or married alike, you go from one person to the next, to the next over the course of life. And you're empty even though you've caught what you've chased. Why? Not because the motivation is wrong. The motivation is that you're just searching for genuine relationship that is rooted in unconditional love. There's nothing wrong with that. God crafted you with that drive, with that engine, with that desire, with that motivation. But the object of your chase, the way you're trying to fulfill it, is all wrong. 
Some of you have expended so much energy and lost so much because you've chased after achievement and you've tried to get that office and you've tried to get that title. You've tried to get that promotion. You've tried to get that position in, the, in, the, in, the, in that group that you want to be a part of. And you've, you've given so much and you've, you've caught what you chased after. But you're still as empty, not because your life is empty, not because it's wrong to have a desire to make a difference and to live a life of impact. Nothing wrong with that. We need more people with that. But the object of your chase, you've chased things that God never designed to fill that emptiness. Jesus begins to give a little bit, a little bit of flavor to how these early believers chased after right things in wrong ways. Look at what he says in verse 26. We won't read this whole passage again because we've already done it once, but just look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? See, there are certain things that we need to trust God for rather than chase after with all of our heart. And my wife is the most important person on the face of this earth to me. And my kids, I would give my life in an instant, regardless of the circumstance for them. And this ministry, I would strive to do everything I could to keep from forfeiting this ministry. And there are things in my life that hold a position of importance, but they were never designed, and they're not able to withstand the pressure of being first in priority. Jesus tells us what is designed to be first, and it's in verse 33. You've heard this verse so many times. But I hope you'll hear it this morning in the context of the chase. He says in verse 33, but seek first. If I might take liberty, the word seek, not replace it, but to put it alongside the word chase. To seek or to chase after first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That word first doesn't mean first in a list. One, two, three, four, five. It means first as only priority. It's not first in addition to others that, that may come behind. It is first and only. And what Jesus says here is that we are called and we have a, a need to seek as first and as only priority a relationship with God, His kingdom, His righteousness. In other words, we are to seek as the priority, the overarching priority of our life. We are to seek, we are to chase after God's reign, God's rule, and the righteousness of God in our lives that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ when our lives are yielded solely and completely to Him as our Lord and as our Savior. I heard a fellow speak this past uh, this past week or so, a week or two ago, uh, many of you have heard of him. His name is Kenny Grant. And he, he gave an illustration that I'm going I'm to use this morning that I believe really captures that particular verse. He paints a picture that many of us can relate to. You've probably had a dog in your life as a family pet. And you've, you've, uh, you've witnessed what I've witnessed before, that dog that would chase after its own tail. We used to have a dog when I was a kid. My mom and dad did. And it was some kind of a little mix uh, Pika, poo, something. I call them punt dogs because I'm like, yep, 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 you want to punt them, you know. But that's just me. <laughs> and uh, uh, sorry for those of you that would hold that against me. Uh, but we used to have, she had that kind of dog, and we'd have a flashlight. We'd get on the, you know, do that flashlight on the floor, just round, around, around, around. That dog would just run circles. And we just got just maniacal pleasure out of that. Like, 
you know, just doing it over and over as kids. Well, you've seen dogs. You probably have a dog or have one right now that chases after its own tail, and it's comical to watch it happen. You know, round and round and round and round and round and round it goes, and then they stop. And then they like look over and they see it over here. And they go back around the other way, round and round and round and round and round, almost just running circles into the floor or into the yard as they do that. But here's what often happens if you take that dog and if you just, you know, and you call his name, he stops and looks at you and you say, Come here. And that dog gets up and he begins to prance towards you. What happens? The thing that he chased after on his own terms and never caught follows right behind him. And what was the difference? He heard the voice of his master, and he followed. And this verse says, but seek you first his kingdom and his righteousness, his right to your life, his reign in your life, his rule in your life that only comes when you give yourself to Jesus, wholly and completely and solely. Seek first, he says, and all these things will be added to you. I got a question this morning. What do you chase? What is it that you chase today? And have you caught what it is that you're chasing for? And if that chase of priority has been anyone or anything other than the person of Jesus Christ, my simple question is, has it left you more empty or more fulfilled? God, I pray this morning for this group of chasers. Lord, we are designed for the chase. We are people who are dependent, and as has been said, we will only find fulfillment. We will only find rest when we find our rest in you. Lord, we thank you that you design us as people with motivation and ambition and drive. But yet, Lord, there are people I'd be willing to say right here in this building this morning that are lonely and they're dry and they're hurting. And Lord, they are just empty because they've been chasing the wrong things. They've been chasing after something that they thought would fill the emptiness. It may have been a person or it may have been a position, a job. It may have been an accomplishment. It may have been money. It may have been a family. It may have been something else, Lord, but things that perhaps are good in and of themselves, but never designed to stand up under the weight of our highest pursuit. So, Lord, I pray today for those that hurt. I pray today for those, as the man I spoke with after the first service, that just shared how this was right in his strike zone, just what he needed that he's understanding as he comes close and closer and closer and closer to you that you're exactly who he needs. And so I pray today, God, I pray for those that are chasing after everything but you, that you would help them to understand, and me as well, with increasing intensity, that many of the things that are so good in our lives, you've never designed us to place them as the priority. But Lord, when we get you right, and we surrender ourselves to Christ, and our lives are not walking in accordance to our own ways, but we're yielded to your ways. We trust your heart, and we follow your lead, and as a dog to the voice of its master, we go where you call us. Lord, I pray that we would find that those things that we long for, many you will allow them to follow us, others you'll replace with something even better. And so, Lord, we don't condemn because of the chase. 
But Father, may we understand the great cost that comes when we chase the wrong things. Lord, for those whose priorities are out of order, and Lord, knowing that out of order is if you're somewhere other than first, God, we pray that the hard decisions be made today and in this coming week and in these days to come of what needs to go, what needs to be adjusted, what needs to be added to help us to be people sold out to you. Lord, for these moms amongst us that have so much responsibility and their heart's desire, I know, is to live a life that impacts their kids forever. But Lord, there are many responsibilities, more than we as men can even understand or relate to, Lord. Help them to understand this Mother's Day 2011 that pouring into their kids and serving their family and doing the things they've been called to do is important. But Lord, it will only be best when you're first. So Lord, help us to make the choices that honor you today. And Lord, I pray as well for those that don't know Jesus, knowing that a, coming to a service or reading a Bible or even giving an offering or doing good doesn't make us right with you. Lord, it only comes when we enact this verse into our lives, when we turn from our sin and we, play, we invite you, Jesus, to take that position of priority, of, 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 of lordship in our lives. And so for those that don't know you, lead them to make that choice today. It's as simple as a prayer of invitation. So, Father, bless now these decisions that are made. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's